Hello, and welcome to the Vet Professionals Cat Cafe podcast series. My name is Sarah Caney. I'm an RCVS specialist in feline medicine and founder of vetprofessionals.com. I've worked as a feline-only vet for more than 25 years now and have been an RCVS specialist in feline medicine for nearly 20 years. I decided to set up a virtual cat cafe during the first COVID-19 lockdown in March 2020 as a way of keeping in touch with cat owners and sharing my tips on cat care. The following podcast was recorded as a cat cafe Zoom webinar on the 8th of April 2021 and you can watch the recording on the video tutorial page of vetprofessionals.com. Look under the helpful info menu for video tutorials and then click on the Cat Cafe tab. In this session, I share some of my tips on cat care, including how to make your home as cat friendly as possible and choosing a good cat carrier. Thank you for choosing to listen to this podcast. I hope you find it interesting and of help in your pet care. Good afternoon. Thank you very much for joining me. And uh, this was a slightly, I guess, cryptically titled session for today. Uh, Tips for cat care that your vet wish you knew. This was a topic that I was asked to comment on some time ago. And I have to admit that it's still work in progress because uh, I think there are many more things that could be added to this list. Um, But this is a starting point. And I did think it was perhaps a useful topic because there often are assumptions that I think vets and vet nurses make uh, when we see our cat owning clients uh, that perhaps we shouldn't make. And I would be very interested to hear your thoughts and comments uh, at the end as well. So please do feel free to give me feedback, suggest more tips that you think should be included. But the ones that I thought of really, first of all, centre around understanding cats and being the best sort of cat owner, if I can put it like that, that we possibly can be. And we all know that uh, cats, of course, are fabulous pets. We adore cats. This is why you're here, I'm sure. And this is why I'm here. Um, But they are um, not very domesticated in the big scheme of things compared to dogs that have lived with people and are much more um, pack animals. So have a, a very different attitude towards living with people in homes. Cats still are, from an evolutionary perspective, uh, not very domesticated. And therefore, I think we do really need to understand what a cat is and therefore what their needs are so that we can make sure that we provide that in our home so that they are as happy as possible. And there are some great resources out there actually on this topic. And the charity International Cat Care that probably many of you know of has a veterinary division called the International Society for Feline Medicine. Uh, ISFM and they have produced a a number of guidelines uh, on different topics and uh, one of those sets of guidelines is actually on what they call environmental needs for cats. 
And these guidelines are free to access um, and often endorsed by the American Association of Feline Practitioners, which is the other acronym at the bottom of this slide. AAFP is uh, the American Association of Feline Practitioners, ISFM, International Society for Feline Medicine. And if you just Google ISFM consensus guidelines, um, you can find a huge list of guidelines on various topics. But these environmental needs guidelines are useful for the first set of tips really which is understanding what is a cat what keeps a cat happy in the home and that one of the charts in this paper I've included here which is the five pillars of a healthy feline environment so for a cat to feel happy in an environment as a pet it needs to feel safe it needs to have access to what we call key resources that's things like food water, uh, a toileting area, which might be a litter box uh, or access outside, um, scratching areas, play areas and areas for hiding and resting. And those key resources, um, it's really important, particularly if we have multiple cats, that we have multiple resources. So there is not competition for access to those resources and especially important in situations where perhaps our cats don't love each other quite as much as we would like them to. So um, I'm going to be talking more about that actually next month when we talk about stress in the home, how we can understand the dynamics of different relationships in our groups of cats. But if you do have several cats, you need to have plenty of resources. Ideally, the key resources should be one per cat and one extra if you can. So if you have two cats, having three litter boxes would be ideal. And a key thing also that's mentioned in that little box is that they're separated. So you don't have two or three litter boxes next to each other because that is one toileting area. There have to be two or three separate toileting locations uh, for those cats. Pillar number three is play and predatory behaviour. So cats, as you know, are pre uh, predatory creatures. They, they are very hardwired to want to uh, hunt, catch, prey, um, and that's very much in their, um, in their genes and inescapable. So we need to accommodate that somehow in the home. So providing opportunities for them to do that uh, and or allowing them to go outside and be able to do that. And then pillar number four is also really crucial, which is what sort of way we interact with our cats. Um, and this should be um, predictable. So the cat really knows where it stands. It should obviously be positive from the cat's pers uh, perspective as well um, and very consistent. So what can be difficult, I will admit, is households perhaps like mine where I have children, quite young children, and they want to play with cats. And we have these two gorgeous kittens. They're a bit larger than the, the photos on the slides now. And the children are desperately keen to pick up the kittens and play with the kittens. But from a cat perspective, um, that is is perhaps not ideal because we want the cats to choose when they want to interact with us rather than us making that uh, decision for them and we want them to feel in control of that interaction and so we want to be as, as it says here very consistent in our behavior towards the cats and the last pillar is respecting the cat's very sensitive sense of smell so avoiding very overpowering perfumes, air fresheners, scented candles that are very strong in, in aroma from a cat's perspective is probably desirable to them. <clears throat> 
Food and water bowls, um, cats tend to prefer metal, glass and ceramic to plastic. So that's another little tip that behaviourists would often have. And we should separate the food and water bowls. So not as shown in this picture here, where there is a water bowl right next to a food bowl. The two should be separated because cats, again, from an evolutionary perspective, prefer to drink from water sources that are far away from their food because um, in the wild that their water source close to food might be contaminated by where they had killed that prey species um, so they want clean water so they tend to prefer those two um, being separated. Optimal toileting facilities is another, I think, linchpin for our cats. And um, for our cats that are indoor only, of course, we have to provide a litter box. But I would argue that all cats, even those with free access outdoors, should have the opportunity to use a litter box should they prefer that. Particularly, I think, for elderly cats, where going outside can become a little bit more difficult for them if they have to go through a cat flap and they're a little bit arthritic or um, perhaps a little bit forgetful as well. They, they have a litter box in the area they spend time in is useful and if you could ask a cat what sort of litter box it would like it would want to have a litter box that was large enough for it to be able to turn around and have a good old dig in um, and many commercial uh, litter boxes unfortunately are not very large um, and uh, so uh, the ideal measurement in terms of length would be that the litter box should be one and a half times the length of the cat from its nose to the base of its tail and of course when you get your, your kittens and they're little a little little litter box is fine but as your kittens grow then their litter box needs to get bigger and for those adult cats it needs to be bigger and unfortunately often what happens is that the larger the litter box um, that is commercially available they tend to also be deeper um, and that can cause problems with our older cats again if they have to step over a large lip uh, to get into their litter box then you know that's that's quite challenging for them. And so uh, these lovely photos at the bottom were actually shared uh, by Ada Mayer, a regular attendee of these sessions. So Poppy and Figaro and their home designed uh, litter box, which, uh, as you can see, has this lovely low access point. So it's very easy to get in and out of, unlike some of these really large deep trays that you can get commercially. Um, I think Poppy and Figaro do get on very well, in which case it's, it's absolutely fine, probably, to have one cat sitting on top of the litter box. Um, but this is an example of a situation where if you did have multiple cats and they were not always best friends, you absolutely need to have multiple separate litter boxes so that if the cat feels a bit intimidated going into their litter box when one of their housemates is sitting on top, which is perfectly understandable because cats like us like privacy when they're using their bathroom, um, then uh, you know that would you need to make sure you cater for that. And cats do tend to prefer a very sandy consistency litter. I really like using clumping litters as well because it's very straightforward to keep them clean, but also you know then precisely, uh, particularly if you only have one cat, what is being passed. So you know that your cat is doing for example, two urinations per day. So if anything changes and there's either no urine in the tray or there's larger, uh, more numerous clumps of urine, then you know that there is an issue. And some of the, the sort of posher um, uh, litters that are available that you don't need to change, that are very absorbent, you just don't get that sort of clinical information. 
cats love high up places so um, I think that's something that's good to support where possible of course as they get older access to those high up places might get more difficult and a little bit of assistance might be required so a chair that the cat can jump onto to get onto the windowsill for example might help uh, some steps or ramps even in, in those arthritic cats can also be helpful but in your young little cats um, having a bed on the top of a cupboard can actually be completely accessible uh, to them with their, their great agility. Um, these climbing frames also that you can get are very popular with cats. They have also that range of, of hidey holes and different beds as well as raised areas. Cats just really love being high up. Um, and they definitely love having an opportunity to hide. So this is a, a favourite resting place at the moment for our cats in the home. This is um, a cupboard in uh, one of my uh, children's bedrooms. You can, you can barely see in the left-hand picture that there is a cat. There's a lovely fleecy blanket here and uh, Nala lying on top of it, quite happily snuggled in there. Uh, and then as, as I was taking photos and, and uh, enjoying seeing her there, she, she turned around to say hello. So being able to support hiding is, I, I think, a positive thing. Some cats will like going underneath beds if that's an option. Um, and they definitely like to have places where they can feel they're undisturbed uh, and can escape from uh, whatever they want to escape from. So what about diet? What sort of tips uh, for diet can I give you? Well, I think a, a broad tip that I would give you is this, this first one, which is to always feed as good quality a diet as you possibly can. Um, there is quite a lot of research that has been done on dietary requirements of cats. For example, we know that they are obligate carnivores. They have to have uh, some essential um, fatty acids and amino acids that are only found in meat. So a, a cat cannot have uh, a vegetarian diet unless it's been synthetically created and added to with these um, essential fatty acids and essential amino acids that are only found in, in meat sources. Um, but we also know that good quality diets uh, tend to be associated with better health. And there's some nice research recently, for example, that shows that cognitive function, so brain function in elderly cats and dogs, feeding them a higher quality diet that tends to have more antioxidants, uh, more fatty acids in it, does have a beneficial impact in terms of their, their brain function. So feeding as good a diet as you can uh, is one recommendation that the kittens were being fed with a puzzle feeder, which is a nice way of, of having a little bit of um, activity, making them work for food a little bit, making it a little bit easier rather than just sitting and wolfing down particularly dry food. Um, but there are other decisions that obviously we, we need to make. Um, uh, again, another really key thing would be that the at least the bulk of the diet, uh, if not all of the diet, should be a complete diet. Diet. A complete food is one which has been um, checked and is known to meet all of the cat's nutritional requirements. So it's in, in other words, it's balanced to provide all of the, the protein, the minerals, everything that the cat needs. Um, there are other things that we can choose to feed in addition to our complete diet that are what we would call complementary items. So things like your dreamies, uh, the huge number of different treats that are available, but also some delicious little um, 
select pouches and, and uh, other things um, that we can get from our supermarkets and pet stores. Actually, if you look at them, they will say they are designed to be complementary. So they're, they're designed to add on top of a complete food, but they are not completely balanced. So um, make sure that you do look for a diet that is complete as your broad baseline diet. There's always a lot of discussion as to whether it is healthier to feed a dry diet versus a wet diet, um, or indeed a mixture of the two. And there, are, I think, are lots of, of points for comment there. And um, there are many animals that do brilliantly on a dry only diet and many animals that do brilliantly on a wet only diet. Um, the proposed advantages of a dry food are better dental uh, hygiene, so keeping the teeth a little bit cleaner. Also in a practical terms, particularly if you live in a warm country, feeding a dry diet can be more practical than, than wet food, which can go off very, very quickly. But then in an older animal and certainly animals with certain health problems, we might want them to have a wet food so that they are taking in more water because we know that actually cats on a dry food do not drink as much fluid, uh, as much water as they would take in if they were eating uh, a wet food. So there are pros and cons. Um, with kittens, it's a good idea to make sure that they're familiar with both formats just in case you need to change their diet at some point in their life, even if you do decide that you want to predominantly feed one formulation uh, rather than another. There has been a lot of interest recently in raw feeding of cats and dogs, and that might be something that some of you are doing. Um, again, just be careful to feed a, a complete diet, uh, ideally a diet which has been checked that it is actually balanced and appropriate uh, for your cat and their life stage. Um, there are some controversies with raw food, of course, um, that people do worry there is a higher risk of certain infections that are normally eliminated by cooking. Uh, we did in the UK uh, a year or two ago have actually an outbreak of a small outbreak of cats developing tuberculosis um, from uh, eating food that uh, or suspected to be due to eating food uh, that had been um, from infected uh, venison carcasses and so that uh, certainly is something that um, I think anyone who is going down the raw feeding pathway needs to needs to know and understand. Um, and there is a, actually there are some good resources that can help in that decision making as well. So uh, the bottom of this slide, you can see I've put um, perhaps choosing a food that is made by a company that is a member of the PFMA. That's the Pet Food Manufacturers Association. And this, uh, their website has a huge amount of resources on it. And uh, I think they estimate that, um, uh, yes, I think it says here 90%, if I'm reading correctly, of pet food companies are registered members of the PFMA. So most manufacturers see this as a positive thing to, to be a member of this organization that accredits really and uh, certifies that, that the food is, is complete and balanced. Um, and they have some really good resources there. For example, if you are interested in raw feeding or grain-free diets, there are some information resources available. Certainly as a clinician, I would say uh, in general terms, I, I 
don't encourage feeding a home prepared diet to cats um, because it is incredibly difficult to produce a home prepared diet that is balanced. So my preference would always be for a, a commercial cat food where possible. I just genuinely think that is the safest thing to do. Um, if you ever did want to feed a home prepared diet, then it, it is possible with support from a veterinary nutritionist. And there are some vets who are very specialised in this area and I refer people to them for that sort of advice. So um, people like Marge Chandler, who I've worked with, and, and uh, some of you may have heard her speak as well. She's a very, very well-known veterinary nutritionist, can assist with that. But in general terms, feeding, I think a commercial diet is sensible. So that's enough about food. Uh, next on the list was actually a real bugbear of mine as a, as a vet, which is cat carriers. Um, may not sound a very exciting topic to talk about, but any of you that have taken your cat to a vet clinic will have probably experienced uh, some of the challenges that a that accompany that, um, one of which is the getting the cat into the carrier and taking the, the cat to the clinic and then at the clinic, getting the cat out of the carrier so that it can be examined by a clinician. And um, there are lots and lots and lots of different cat carriers available on the market. Um, and unfortunately, not all of them, in my opinion, are really suitable for this purpose. Uh, for example, the lovely wicker basket shown on this slide on the right hand side is probably quite a nice snuggly place for, for the cat um, and might be um, a comfortable um, way of being transported. For example, this cat is going um, to a boarding cattery or traveling further, further distance. But in terms of the vet assessment, as you can see, we've got quite a small opening, which is quite difficult to get a cat out of. And unless the cat wants to come out of that opening, it could be quite difficult to get them out in a way that's, that's not distressing or uncomfortable for them. And particularly key, of course, would be if the cat ever injured itself, getting them into this carrier and getting them out of that carrier could actually be difficult. So the more boring carriers that have a large top opening um, are much more practical. Um, they are, you know, less attractive to look at, um, but I, I'm not sure that the cats really, really bother about that. There are a lot of carriers that are like this uh, burgundy coloured one on the left hand side, which are quite easy to dismantle. And if you have a carrier like this, where it really is actually very easy to take the top off, um, then those are, are brilliant. But some of the these design ones unfortunately they're quite fiddly to get the lid off um, and it can be you know really quite stressful doing that in the consultation so ideally it's something that either has a large top opening or is easy to dismantle obviously easy to clean as well um, but avoid the the sort of uh, ones with a small opening that uh, are impossible to dismantle Something else you can do is actually train your cat to go into their cat carrier. And um, this is not as impossible as it might sound. Um, International Cat Care Charity I mentioned a little bit earlier on actually have a series of videos with um, their behaviorist, Sarah Ellis, explaining how to do this uh, in, in a series of steps. And it does work particularly well for cats that love treats. So if you have a cat that they absolutely love their dreamies um, and they really respond to treats, then you can actually train them to do certain things. So in these series of videos, she, she actually talks through how to train your cat to first of all, sit on a, a, um, a specific pad of, of bedding, which is ultimately going to be in the carrier. Um, so there's no walls or anything hemming it in. 
in and then you move from that to the car the uh, the uh, blanket inside the carrier with no door on the front uh, and then progress to the the door going on and the idea is really just to to make the carrier a non-threatening place a place that the cat doesn't feel upset about being in so that hopefully they they might think uh, like Nala here well if the carrier is left out yeah well I, I might decide to go inside and and that's fine I don't find that it's scary or threatening even if I manage to shut the door on myself as she's done here um, it just is is somewhere that is is uh, not scary and in line with that would be the recommendation that uh, to keep the carrier at home in a location that the cat spends time in. So rather than the cat carrier perhaps being stored in your garage, your shed, your attic, uh, and it comes out once a year, um, for it to be just a normal option for your cat to use as a hiding or resting place, perhaps just take the door off, uh, perhaps even take the lid off this one. Next tip is finding um, a good vet clinic and um, there are of course lots of really brilliant vet clinics but something that has changed in recent years is an ability for vet clinics all around the world to actually accredit themselves as being cat friendly and uh, cat friendly is this term that was in invented by international cat care to really refer to understanding and knowledge about cats that translates into the highest possible care for cats um, and they have an accreditation scheme whereby um, clinics can um, go through a, an application process to either be a, a bronze, a silver or gold, uh, gold being the highest level of cat friendliness um, and on the cat friendly clinic website which I've, I've put here but if you just google cat friendly clinic you'll find it you can see that one of the options on under the cat owner menu is to find a cat friendly clinic so if you click on there you can then enter your location and it will tell you what cat friendly clinics are in your area and you can find a little bit more about them. And the idea is really that clinics that have gone through this and you have to go through this process, I think every three years. So it's not a once and then you forget about it. It's a sort of continual pro, uh, process. Um, but clinics that are registered as being cat friendly have firstly a certain baseline of equipment that is relevant to cats within the clinic. So certain laboratory and clinical equipment, um, the highest level of clinics have to have um, separate cat facilities and uh, larger kennels in, in the hospital ward for sick cats so there are certain very strict criteria that have to be made and hopefully that has an impact on on our cats and that supports them during their visits to the clinic but also if they have to stay in the clinic because we do know that although cats are good at lowering our blood pressure they're good for our stress levels they are actually a, a little bit of stress bunnies themselves they're they're quite um, I would say control freaks in general cats are really like to be in control of their environment and if we take that sense of control away which is typically when we take them into a vet clinic then that can be extremely stressful for the cat um, as you probably are very very aware and that stress can have an impact in the short term what we would call acute stress short-term stress but also in the long term in chronic stress um, so for example if we have a cat that needs to be hospitalized uh, it's very ill it needs to stay in for several days um, then uh, the stress associated with that can have uh, a negative impact on their recovery from illness. 
In the short term, though, it also has a massive impact because there are lots of things that are uh, affected by stress. Of course, the cat's behavior can be affected. Some cats, when they're fearful, will become aggressive. Many cats actually don't do that. They, they are sometimes frozen with fear. They turn into little statues, um, but their heart rates increase, their respiratory rate increases. Sometimes that causes open mouth breathing. So a cat panting like a dog, which is quite distressing, I think, to see uh, as well as to experience, I'm sure, for the cat also can have an impact on some of our measurements. So for example, blood pressure measurements. Uh, in people, we know stress can increase blood pressure, but the same is true in cats as well. What we sometimes call the white coat effect, the stress increase in blood pressure. Uh, the more correct term nowadays is something called situational hypertension. So situational being that in certain situations when the cat is stressed, their blood pressure goes up. Um, their heart rate, their cardiac output, the amount of blood the, the heart is pumping, the body temperature can all increase, blood glucose can increase and that can make it difficult, uh, particularly if we're trying to assess a cat and we're wondering if it's diabetic, which also can cause an increase in blood glucose. We can get an impact on our white blood cells, so the haematology, the blood profile and the leukogram looking at white blood cells can be affected the urine pH also can be affected. So all these things can be um, a real problem to us as clinicians because they can interfere with our ability to make the correct diagnosis and provide the correct treatment. And then, as I've already mentioned, for our cats that need to come into the hospital for treatment, stress often can um, reduce or cut off appetite completely, can slow healing, can affect drug metabolism. So overall recovery can be really compromised. So it's really important uh, to us as clinicians to be cat friendly um, so that we are able to uh, firstly assess our patients and get an accurate diagnosis. We get the correct diagnosis. We then use the correct treatment and also our patient hopefully is going to recover more quickly. So cat friendliness is, is really key for us. But we're also recognizing more and more that it is key for you as well. It's key, key for the carers. And uh, some of you may have participated in a questionnaire that we ran. Actually, we launched it about a year ago today called our Happy Cats Survey, looking at the stress associated with a visit to the vet clinic. And we've uh, generated a lot of results. About 400 people participated in this extremely long survey. So thank you very much for your support with it. And we're still uh, analyzing. We're going to publish these results so we will share them in full properly as soon as we can um, but just to share some interim findings with you firstly um, just overall how stressful did owners rate the consultation was from their cat's perspective this is the the time spent in the consulting room well the answer was that three quarters of owners said that it was either moderately or severely stressful sort of maximum score so for you know three quarters of cat owners, they recognise that uh, the experience for veterinary examination, time in that consultation room is extremely stressful. And unsurprisingly, witnessing stress is actually stressful to us as cat owners as well. And so when asked this question, does witnessing stress have an impact on you? About 95% of participants said yes. Um, only a small number of people, four and a half percent, said no. And even those people um, generally uh, in the free comments uh, section were saying, well, I, I know it's 
stressful, but I also know it's it's the right thing for my cat to receive their treatment, particularly if they're ill. You know, it's really important that they get it. So that's how I cope with it, which is, of course, very understandable. But the fact that more than 90 percent of people are saying, you know, this is stressful is, of course, concerning to, to myself. And we also know that witnessing stress does have an impact on future behavior. So, for example, in our survey, we asked, um, has witnessing stress ever put you off a vet visit, future vet visit uh, for your cat? And we found that uh, just over 30% of people said yes. And uh, again, everyone participating in this survey is, is a really dedicated cat owner. And the comments we got in line with this were along, along the lines of, for example, with vaccination, um, if an annual booster is recommended, um, some people are choosing to just stretch that interval a little bit, perhaps to rather than 12 months, it's maybe 13 or 14 or 15 months, which is allowed by the, the vaccine manufacturers, just to reduce that uh, vet visit frequency a little bit. So it, it's definitely an important topic. So being cat friendly is it, really, I think, important for the cats, but it is important for you, I believe, as well. A little bit more data here. So a, a previous study that showed that um, decision making for vaccination was impacted by uh, stress associated with a vet visit. So 27% of owners said that stress during a vet visit was a very important factor when deciding whether or not to vaccinate their cats. So it's not necessarily just thinking, is the vaccination a good idea? Do I believe in vaccines? But actually also thinking, or oh, do I want to put my cat through this stress? And an American survey uh, with, I think, about 2,000 cat owners, um, about 40% of them said that just thinking about a vet visit was stressful for them. Um, and I can relate to that as well with, with certainly some of my cats where it's been really quite stressful taking them into the clinic. Um, and as you saw, our survey has indicated about 30% of owners um, had said that uh, witnessing stress puts them off a future vet visit. And clearly that that's, can't be a good thing for care in terms of receiving you know, accurate early diagnoses and appropriate treatment. So it's something we need, we need to work on. We need to do a better job. And lastly, being cat friendly is really important for clinicians. So for the vets, the nurses, the receptionists or working in the vet clinic, because if we do have a cat friendly environment, it's going to make our job a lot easier to do. We're not fighting with our patients. I would never recommend fighting with a cat anyway. But, you know, if we have a calm, empathetic manner, we're working as a team. Um, it's a much more pleasant process. We're much less likely to have any sort of injuries which of course do happen in vet clinics um, and uh, certainly clinics that go through the cat friendly clinic um, accreditation process report that uh, there is greater confidence in dealing with cats greater job satisfaction um, and ultimately it's, it's better for for the clinic from a business sense as well to be cat friendly so this is something that I'm, I'm delighted to say is widely adopted. So um, if you're wondering if your clinic is cat friendly, you, you can look that up on the cat friendly website. Um, they should have the, the cat friendly clinic logo in a prominent place. That is uh, something that's supposed to happen uh, with practices that are accredited. But of course, there's often lots and lots of things up in waiting rooms. And at the moment, we're not 
letting people into waiting rooms so it can be difficult to tell um, but uh, having that accreditation is a good step and also all clinics that have cat friendly clinic accreditation have to have a nominated cat advocate in the clinic um, this is often a nurse not always um, but that person is the sort of go-to person so if you have worries about your cat's ability to cope with a vet visit you're just you're concerned about any aspect or, of care relating to your cat then asking to be put in touch with the cat advocate can be a useful first step so a few final little tips to finish with. Um, one is that more and more, certainly in the UK, um, healthcare plans are becoming extremely popular and uh, I think um, very helpful part of, of helping us to provide um, good preventative healthcare for our cats. Um, so you're, you may have one of these already. If you've not heard of these before, um, they are typically, what they involve is a, is a, a monthly payment to your vet clinic or to a provider and that covers the vaccination, the worming, the flea treatment and sometimes all of the consultation costs as well and so it helps to just spread those routine costs through the year um, and typically provides discounts for it as well because of course it works well for the clinic to have that regular income um, so uh, it may discount surgical treatments or uh, medical prescriptions. So I think that's that's a useful thing to consider in terms of spreading the costs. The other thing, of course, to consider is is pet insurance. Um, and uh, again, this is available in, in many but not all countries. Um, and the main reason I think for pet insurance is really dealing with those unexpected large costs that can arise just because cats are small creatures unfortunately doesn't translate to the bills that are possible with veterinary care being small and as every year goes by there are new treatments there are new diagnostic facilities that potentially add to the cost of investigations and so individual health conditions sometimes can cost thousands of pounds uh, to manage in some situations and it's it's horrible if if money comes into the decision making equation which of course it it often does to, to some extent or other, um, but pet insurance is, is one way around that. I do know other people that have savings plans that they have a, a sort of special savings pot for their pet expenses and that works well for them. Insurance, of course, is always a gamble because if you are lucky and your cat is healthy all its life and you never claim on its insurance, you might think, well, why did I spend all this money on something I never used? Um, but the main utility is really for those sudden emergency large bills that might otherwise be difficult to cover. Preventative healthcare and uh, thinking more of older cats here, the senior health checks are now becoming a more common recommendation in clinics. Um, and I would say, um, if at all possible, if you have an invitation to attend a senior health check in particular, then I would say always say yes, if at all possible. At the moment, again, with COVID, there, there may be less availability of these sorts of consultations, although some clinics are doing some online consultations to cover some aspects of these. Of course, we can't examine a patient online, but we can still collect that detailed information from you regarding your, your cat's health and contribute to their well-being and their care. But many old cat illnesses do develop quite gradually, quite in 
insidiously they can be difficult for a carer to spot at home whereas these preventative healthcare checks where the animal is thoroughly examined is weighed there's that thorough discussion can help to pick them up at an early stage and the earlier the diagnosis in general uh, the better the treatment outcome is so if you do receive an invitation to a senior clinic then I would say uh, very much uh, do your best to attend it and if you do have a cat that is particularly anxious about vet visits, um, then make sure that you do have a chat with your vet clinic because there are some options now in terms of things that can be done to reduce the stress. And those a mixture of things which include um, if the clinic know in advance, choosing a quiet time of day for the cat to come in if they're very stressed by other animals but also there are some pre-vet uh, visit um, sedative options which we are using more and more and finding helpful for example um, a painkiller called gabapentin which is not a veterinary licensed medication for cats but we do sometimes use for cats with uh, orthopedic and other pain um, we also know um, has some sedating side effects um, and uh, this has now been studied by uh, a number of researchers and using a higher dose of gabapentin prior to a vet visit a higher dose than you would use for, for its normal pain relief um, often will just sedate the cat a little bit and really um, help to facilitate the sort of examination that might be needed so if you have a, a very stressed very anxious cat um, then ask your vet clinic about gabapentin and uh, that might be an option that is helpful there are some other medications that are also used in a similar way but gabapentin is probably the most frequently used um, and then a couple of very final recommendations for you are, I would say, always trust your instincts. So um, you are the person that knows your cat best. If you think there's something not quite right, then almost certainly there is something that is not right in your cat. So, so don't, don't be deterred um, from contacting your vet clinic uh, at any point. And, and in fact, that's the last tip as well. Always ask your vet clinic for advice and support because that is what they want you to do. They want to be there for you um, and you are registered with them for a reason. And when it comes to healthcare, of course, I would say a veterinary clinic is the, the most important, the most appropriate uh, port of call. So a slightly sort of random, possibly slightly shambolic discussion of my tips for pet owners, but I hope uh, of interest. I would love to hear what else you think should be on the list of tips, things perhaps you wish you knew before um, something happened in your in your cat's life and, and uh, that you wish your vet had told you about. Um, as always, there's a lot of other information on the website, recordings of previous sessions. So this is uh, actually more or less a year's anniversary that we've been doing the Cat Cafe sessions. And if you look on the video tutorial page, which is under the helpful info tab of the homepage, uh, you can see all of the previous Cat Cafe sessions. Uh, next time I'm talking about stress in the home, uh, how we can understand as carers or how we can get some clues whether or not our cats are stressed at home uh, and of course what we can do about it so some of the discussion today about resources um, providing those key resources in multiple separate locations will, will feature but also some specific tips on how to recognize stress in cats and very finally before uh, I open up discussions um, I mentioned the happy cat 
Cats survey uh, during this presentation, but as always, we have got some ongoing surveys that are open. And uh, the one we're doing that the biggest push for at the moment is giving medications to cats at home. We've had an absolutely amazing response to this survey. So thank you so, so much if you have already completed that survey. Um, but if not, we would still love to hear from you and your friends and your relatives and anyone else you know that has a cat. Um, and if you go to the survey page of the website, you'll be able to see Medicating Cats is one of the surveys uh, that is open. It takes about 10 or 15 minutes to do, um, but we would really love your responses. And we're planning on closing that survey at the end of April. So just a few weeks left to respond to that. Um, and similarly, we have a little bit more time for the feline acromegaly sur survey. Uh, this is definitely a more niche survey. Acromegaly is a condition where a brain tumour um, overproduces growth hormone and typically affected cats are diabetic with a very severe form of diabetes. But if you have had experience of that in any of your uh, cats that you've owned or if you are a clinician, any cats that you've managed, um, then uh, there is a, an owner survey and a vet survey that you can link through to from our website, which are, are still open again for just a, a, a few more weeks. And uh, we would love to have your responses to that. So thank you very much. I will now be very happy to uh, answer any questions or take any comments that you have. I'll have a look in, in the comments box. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to this session. For more information, please visit vetprofessionals.com. You can find YouTube recordings of all Cat Cafe sessions on the video tutorials page. To find the video tutorials page, click on the helpful info menu on the home page. Don't forget that you can attend future Cat Cafe sessions live and have the opportunity to ask questions and show me you and your cat on video if you like. You can read more about how to access these sessions on the video tutorials page of the website. Lastly, if you found this podcast helpful, don't forget to subscribe and add a review. Thank you.